almost no one raises the real issue of tax avoidance, right? And of the rich just not paying their fair share. I mean, it feels like I'm at a firefighters conference and no one's allowed to speak about water. Today we walk into this house with an iconic South African plant, the Alu Ferox. We must take the bitter with the sweet. It is a matter that uh, uh, is under consideration. And all I would say is that watch this space. Welcome to this week's episode of the SA Money Report. This financial podcast is brought to you by Fin24 and hosted by Deputy Editor Ahmed Arif. Before COVID-19, ESCOM was regarded as the single largest risk to SA's economy. With the numbers of infections down for now, hopefully forever, ESCOM has finally reclaimed its throne. Weeks of back-to-back moves between stage 2 and stage 4, breakdowns, conveyor belt issues, stuff in Zambia, it all seems quite literally dark and bleak, and everyone is looking for someone else to blame. You know, it's all pervasive when my two-year-old storms off when his episode of Cocomelon is cut off and he ends up shouting at Edcom. But that's just TV. There are matriculants studying in the dark. There are people who need electricity for home medical equipment. Some can't warm milk or food to feed their infants. Helping us to understand our latest plunge into darkness and give some rhyme and reason to our anger, in this bumper edition of SA Money Report are regulars Fin24's Lamise Umarji and Jan Kronier. Lamise, let's start with you. What's going on here? What's happening to our plants? What's happening to ESCOM? And how is Zambia involved in all of this? Hi, Ahmed. ESCOM officials briefed the media this week on the state of the system. And the CEO, Andre Dereta, was quite frank about the challenges the power utility is facing. Basically, the regular stuff we know, there are unplanned breakdowns, which are more than ESCOM has planned for in its own scenarios. These breakdowns are happening at both new and old stations. One of the things that's happened at Madubi was the explosion at Unit 4, and that's going to see the unit out of service for possibly two years. The fire at Kendall also affected a unit, but that will come on stream by December. When it comes to Zambia, ESCOM provided an update based on preliminary information. Basically, Southern African countries all belong to the Southern African power pool, and this is an interconnected power system. Um, South Africa is part of it, Zambia is part of it, Zim, and ESCOM's group executive of transmission, Sehomoto Skepers, actually had displayed a map for everyone to see how all these transmission lines are interconnected and, you know, where all the substations are, that sort of thing. And just as an example, South Africa would export power to some Southern African nations, and in turn, it imports power from Kahura Basa in Mozambique. And this whole power system of the Southern African power pool must operate at a frequency of 50 hertz. If the frequency increases or goes lower, there can be trips. And when trips happen, protective measures automatically kick in to stabilize the system. And you can think about it like being your house when there's an electrical fault, some of your electronics and lights maybe trip and just to prevent like, you know, further damage like a fire. So what happened over the weekend was that Zambia experienced a blackout and this resulted in trips within the network. But basically this 
This incident in Zambia affected the power imported from Kahora Basa. And, you know, well, our domestic system had a drop in frequency. And, and so then our protective measures kicked in. And those are the emergency reserves like the pump storage and the open cycle gas turbines. And for context, at the time, South Africa was already in stage two load shedding with the purpose of replenishing these emergency reserves. And so that really set us back when the open cycle gas turbines and the pump storage had to run. But they only ran for two hours before the power from Kahora Basa was restored. So the investigation is still ongoing, but that just explains the link between what's happening in Zambia and South Africa. Uh, Lamise Dereta said in uh, Tuesday's briefing that uh, almost all the municipalities in the country do not actually follow ESCOM's load shedding directives. We haven't heard that before, yeah? He mentioned it as an emerging challenge and actually said that's why load shedding had to be deepened from stage two to stage four. ESCOM's group executive of distribution, Monde Bala, at both briefings had to uh, clarify exactly which municipalities were not complying or not fully complying. There's like two sets of municipalities, if I can explain it that way. The one set, they can implement their own load shedding. They're capable of doing that. Other municipalities can't and ESCOM will load shed them. But apparently there are 28 that are in control of their own load shedding. And of them, two, Etiquini and Buffalo City, were the only ones that fully complied, while the rest of them uh, only partially complied or didn't comply at all. But ESCOM has been engaging with these municipalities, and it's not just municipalities, it's also some industrial customers, and ESCOM has written letters to them or given them notice to correct the situation because it can't continue. Yeah, and moving to you, we've got two new coal-powered fire stations, well, relatively new given how long they took to be built. One in particular, Kusila, isn't performing the way it needs to. What's going on with the station? Hi, Ahmed, and hi, Lomis. Yes, Kusila is one of our most modern coal-fired power stations. It's actually not fully completed yet. Only half of its six generating units have been synchronized to the grid. I believe the final completion date is around 2025. Ahmed, now ESCOM has has various metrics to judge the effectiveness of our power stations, uh, whether they be coal or renewable or nuclear. And one of the most important metrics is called energy availability factor. And it's the percentage of a plant's capacity. So for Kusile, it would be the three units that are operational that is available to supply power to the grid calculated over a period of time and for Kusile this has fallen as of last week to just 24% 24.5% by far the lowest of all our coal-fired power stations and the reasons are similar to some of the reasons that Lamise was speaking about for why we have load shedding it's, it's, it's unplanned breakdowns trips outages and the like you you also mentioned Madupi uh, Kusile's sister station and Ahmed uh, Madupi's energy availability factor is better than Kusile it's not great though because these are both new stations energy analysts expect them to have a a relatively high what they call EAF you know 80% or 90% 
uh, they're not reaching that. Uh, Lamiz, on top of this, talking about power stations, it seems that there was an incident with the Kuburg nuclear power station as well. Yes, this week the National Nuclear Regulator, which issues the licenses to and you know ensures that nuclear operations are safe, they issued a statement indicating that ESCOM had conducted routine testing at Kuburg Security Central Alarm Station. This is apparently an underground bunker at Kuburg. And it was like a controlled situation and ESCOM used a radioactive isotope as a tracer in the test in this ventilation system. And through the test, they picked up that there was a trace of this isotope. And that would have possibly, if there was a real nuclear accident, then this could possibly um, lead to exposure to workers. But a real nuclear accident did not happen. <laughs> That's what everyone is has been saying, the regulator and ESCOM. It, it was just part of their testing to see where the weaknesses are. And there was some exposure detected in the, in the bunker. But Unregulator said that Kuburg is stable and safe. And recently, a global benchmarking organization had actually lifted the status of Kuburg as, as being under special care. It can be regarded among the, the best nuclear stations in the, in the world. So I think there was been a lot of assurances that the, that the nuclear power station is safe and these tests are routine to ensure it stays safe in the event that there is an accident, but there was no accident. Lemis, we recently scored a deal for funding from all the rich countries uh, at COP26 to finance our move away from coal. What can you tell us about this deal and what it hopes to achieve? Basically, four countries, the UK, US, France and Germany, have agreed to mobilize funding of $131 billion over three to five years to support South Africa's efforts to transition to, you know, a greener economy basically focusing efforts on ESCOM's own transition first. Other countries are welcome to join the agreement. It's not just limited to these four nations. Primarily, it's going to focus on shifting away from coal and also takes into account the socio-economic impacts of that shift because there are a lot of people in the country dependent on the coal industry for work. Part of the funding will also be focused on creating jobs in in the green industry. And, you know, a lot of work went into this. Government officials, some of them, and as well as ESCOM officials, had met with the climate envoys from these countries. Andre Dureta himself uh, was at COP26 trying to secure this this deal. He, he received some criticism for not being in the country when stage four load shedding hit, but then he said, <laughs> There were 131 billion reasons or good reasons for him to be at COP, you know, because ESCOM doesn't have the money to to transition or move away from coal. And, and this is a big deal in that regard. The details of of how this money is going to be dispersed, like with what instruments, whether it's going to be grants, um, concessional loans, which development finance institutions or lenders will be involved, all that is still to be determined and apparently a task team in the presidency has been set up uh, to engage with these other nations to work on how to enable this agreement. 
Jan, so uh, Energy Minister Gwede Mantashe, who's uh, obviously not a fan of us abandoning coal so quickly uh, and seems like he might not actually be a fan of this this deal that we scored. He basically recently announced a whole bunch of preferred bidders for renewable projects. What's the hope that these projects will achieve? I mean, yes, since 2011, so for the past 10 years, South Africa's been adding renewable power to the grid in a series of what's called bidding rounds. This has kind of happened in stops and starts, depending on which ministers have been in power. Some have been more pro-renewable, some have been much less so. But around 90 projects have been built in, in the first four bidding windows. So some of the power that we're using for this uh, podcast comes from solar farms in the Northern Cape or wind turbines in the Eastern Cape. And last week, Mantashe announced the results of the, of the latest bid window, bid window five, which has 25 new projects. In total, they are set to add um, 2,600 megawatts of power to the grid and are likely to start coming online sometime after 2023. I mean, these are, like many of the renewable projects in South Africa, private projects, which are constructed by independent power producers. So what ESCOM does is it buys the power and uses its own transmission system to send it to you and me. But um, ESCOM itself uh, generally doesn't build the renewable projects. Jan, so let's say we have all these cool new renewable energy projects, the open vistas of the Northern Cape with its good wind and sunshine seem like the perfect place for renewable energy projects. But not really. Why? I mean, the Northern Cape has been the perfect place for renewable energy projects pretty much since these bid windows opened a decade ago. It has excellent solar radiation, say the experts, and it also has very strong pockets of wind power. Apparently, it's not windy everywhere, but it's got places that are suitable for wind power. But ESCOM has quite recently run into a massive problem, and that is while private companies want to keep building solar farms and wind farms, there's not sufficient transmission capacity to, to shift the power from the Northern Cape, which is sparsely populated, to places like Cape Town or Johannesburg. ESCOM needs to build pylons, transmission lines, and there's all this quite expensive infrastructure in order to what the people in the industry call evacuate the power, so send it to where it's needed. And it takes a long time. It it takes many years of planning, uh, it takes tens of billions of rands, and ESCOM doesn't have that finance at the moment. Now, some people in the in the local wind industry have looked to this 131 billion rand deal that Lamise mentioned previously, thinking that if some of that could be pushed towards a building out ESCOM's transmission capacity in the Northern Cape, that would be funds well spent. Lamise, how integral is it that we get this new capacity and how important is all of this new capacity in actually stopping load shedding once and for all? 
yeah, not to sound like a broken record or anything, but the uh, rater at one of the briefings, he began his address and ended his address by saying that we have a generation capacity gap of between 4,000 megawatts to 6,000 megawatts and load shedding will be with us until that gap is plugged. And yeah, just as as Jan mentioned earlier, there have been new procurement processes like the Renewable Energy Independent Power Producer Procurement Program and the Emergency Procurement Program, which is currently underway, which could possibly contribute to plugging that gap. But it's also we've had the new license exemption to get projects with generating capacity of 100 megawatts, allowing them to, you know, operate or be set up without requiring a license, which would also, you know, contribute to plugging that gap. Lastly, there is a question for both of you. If if you were made an ESCOM advisor tomorrow and you had under the rater's ear, what would you tell him needs to be done? Or do you think they're doing the best they can? Uh, Jan first. Ahmed, I think ESCOM is an incredibly difficult job and and I mean, we've kind of limited interaction with people, but the people that we interact with always seem to be trying to do the best job they can. <laughs> but I guess what I've learned covering it for a while is that your gut reaction about what's needed to fix ESCOM often requires such a vast oversimplification of the problems it actually faces that, you know, it almost becomes pointless to look at one specific thing. But I mean, nevertheless, South Africa is basically still coal country. I believe we we produce about 85% of our electricity from coal. Now, decades ago, other countries were pretty much in the same position as us, and they made their initial move away from coal with natural gas. I've got the UK's current electricity dashboard open in front of me, and it says that at the moment, 60% of its current generation is is coming from gas. And I mean, we in South Africa have, for, for whichever reason, completely missed the natural gas boat. And as Lamis mentioned a little bit earlier, ESCOM says we need additional capacity yesterday, this this four to 6,000 megawatt gap, uh, which in part um, is needed so that ESCOM can take its aging coal stations offline to, to properly fix them. So I would advise Durator to go in on natural gas, at least for a kind of short-term boost to close the uh, capacity gap and to help ESCOM fix the coal plants that it intends to keep running. On the other hand, of course, um, natural gas is a fossil fuel. It creates pollution and it does create uh, uh, greenhouse gases. And of course, South Africa doesn't want to be building new fossil fuel powered plants in this day and age. For example, I have doubt, but I don't have any specific information one way or the other about whether this $131 billion in funding will, for example, enable South Africa to move from coal to gas. But um, I kind of understand the move away from coal as, a, as, as three jumps are needed, from, from coal to, to gas and a little bit of renewables, and then from gas to renewables. So, so that's what I would 
advise him. And Ahmed, I'm sure it's something that he thought of himself. But yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Jan. Lamise. Yeah, I agree. I think I think ESCOM knows what they have to do. Andre Dreta knows what they have to do. They have spoken, you know, about the transition and using gas for a little while. It might upset some of green activists. So I would put to you, Ahmed, that Andre Dreta doesn't need advice. <laughs> the person who needs advice is uh, the Mineral Resources and Energy Minister, Gwedi Mantashi, who keeps going on about coal and gas. <laughs> Although I also think maybe he doesn't need advice either because he's heard all the information that ESCOM has heard because even the president, you know, has written about transitioning, incorporating renewables, that sort of thing. So people in government know what they need to do. ESCOM knows what it needs to do. So in my hypothetical situation, I'm not the advisor. I am the president. And (laughs) as president, I would give Gwedi Mantashi an ultimatum, you know, to come to the party with renewables or with the transition in general, or sack him. Yeah, if I can be as bold to say that. And and if needed, appoint someone who doesn't have vested interests in any fossil fuel and even renewable energy projects, but just someone who can understand fully the concept of a just transition and then guide the energy department to speedily implement policies that ensure the electrification of households using clean energy and also in a way that addresses our socio-economic inequalities. And also to add with, with the Greta Mandashi thing, you know, also we need somebody who doesn't fund fictional uh, resources when, as, he, as he did some years back, talking about Nile or something like that. But thanks Jan and thanks Lamise. This brings our show to an end. The music in this episode is courtesy of Getty Images and Epidemic Sound. This week's installment was produced with the help of Kayleen Morgan. Thank you for listening.